We're going to spend some time in 1 John 3, because that's where we need to be today. 1 John 3, verse 13, 14, and 15. If you will, last week I, I, I shared with you verse 11 and 12 and verse 16, and now I'm going in between those two places to do 13, 14, and 15. So this is like the, the cream filling on the Oreo cookies, okay? This is the good stuff, right? Some people like double stuff. Maybe that's what this will be. Uh, but uh, we're right here in the middle of this section. We're speaking and learning about the Christian essentials. Something that we really need to be so conscious of. And, and my goal is this. You probably have caught on by now. My goal is to, to share this so often with us that it becomes something that we think of first thing in the morning. Who am I and what am I doing? Three things that are very important in a Christian life, and, and this chapter sums it up. One is that we are like Christ, right? That's what he's doing in our life. He's making us like Christ. But how often is he at work at that? That's a daily thing that the Lord is shaping us to be like our Savior. And eventually that will perfectly succeed. And when we see him, we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. We saw that in the first handful of verses. Like Christ. I want that reminder before you every morning when you get up. I'm to be like Christ. Would that change your day? Change maybe a few things you might do in the day? That's the goal. The second part that we're in right now is that we are to love our brother. That's a reminder we need too, I believe. I'm to love my brother. I am to love my brother. Is that something that we're conscious of? That's why we're studying it as we are. We are to love our brother. That's what scripture tells us to do. And the third one, which we're coming up on in a few weeks, and that is to live truth. Live truth. And that's coming toward the end of this chapter. But today we're still on the topic of loving our brother. The third time we've approached this here, and that's what the verses are before us in verse number 13 through 15. It says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Heavenly Father, we have another fascinating and challenging section of Scripture before us today. And we certainly are dependent upon you, not just to understand it, but also to do it. And I pray that you might challenge our hearts today. We have plenty of distractions in our world, and some we might have brought with us here this morning. But I pray that we might have our focus set on you today, our eyes looking above, that you might teach us, and that you might work in our hearts, and change our lives, and indeed make us more like Christ. Just for the time we've spent here this morning, it's a blessing to have this privilege. May we make good use of it, and may it change us. In Jesus' name, Amen. The importance of an example. We think of this in several ways, I'm sure. Um, many years ago, when I was in Bible college, I needed to work part-time work to help pay for 
family and, and school bills and such, so I work for a pizza company. In Birmingham, Alabama, I'm driving pizzas around in a 74 Ford van. It didn't work too well on hills, I'll tell you that much. And there were plenty of them in Birmingham, if you've ever been there. It's kind of like the inside of a cereal bowl. There's mountains all the way around it. And that's where the people lived who needed our pizzas. And uh, we had one particular family that uh, was notorious for ordering pizza. See, that was back in those days when, you know, there was a 30-minute guarantee, and if it didn't show up in 30 minutes, they got it free. And they knew no one could get it there in 30 minutes. It was in the range of, of what was permissible, uh, but it was just the route that made it so difficult to get to that location. And I don't know how many times I was up there giving away free pizza, but it was almost like clockwork every week. I was waiting for that call, and here it was, and they said, we want this, and it's usually a big stack, not just one pizza, but several, and, and uh, sure enough, they, they thought they had quite a, uh, a system. I remember one day during the course of a week, I thought during the daytime, because this was hard to find at night, I would practice the route, and I spent the whole day driving back and forth, back and forth, back and forth over that route, and guess who called that night? They called wanting their pizzas. And guess who was there with five minutes to spare? And guess who stood there with their mouth wide open, realizing they had to pay for their pizza this time? You learn something, you know, sometimes it's by mistakes, right? Sometimes it's by, you know, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work, and then you dedicate yourself to finding the way that does work. And sometimes you do that. Or sometimes... Somebody just sets the picture in front of you and says, okay, this is the way it is, follow it. And you have to learn. Now, the same company that's sending us out in these trucks also had this portrait, and I'm going to use the word portrait, of a pizza above the make line. All right? What that was, was that was the way our pizzas were supposed to look. All right? And there was a portrait because somebody had to doctor that a little bit. No pizza could ever look that good. But it was up there, and we were supposed to make the pizzas the same number of pepperonis and everything. We had to match that picture up there. That was, a, that was a little bit challenging at times, and I don't know if they ever exactly resembled that. But today, and just a thought that I've set before you, today we're studying about how that we are to resemble Christ. We have his example before us, and we've tried... Haven't we, over the years? And sometimes it doesn't come out the way we thought. But other times we get intentional and we work real hard and we think, well, maybe if I practice and practice and practice, I could be more like him. But either way, the portrait is given to us in Scripture, right? We see what Christ is. And this section that we're studying here about loving our brother, who better displayed that? <laughs> Who better displayed loving a brother than Christ? See, he didn't just say, now go out and love your brother and not leave us a, an example. He did not show us how to do it. You know, we, we're, it's not, we're not in that situation where we're guessing how to do this. He said it before us that we could see it, that we can do it. 
So this little section is very important here in our study of, of 1 John. We are to resemble Jesus Christ. We are to be like Him. And we can do that. Alright? We can do that. Because, as we see in verse number 1 of chapter 3, He has made us children of God. What a great love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And if you're a child, then you can resemble your father, right? That's important. And this is what he's made us. He's put us into that family. So don't step, sit back and say, well, I can't be like that. Yes, you can. Because he put you in the family. All right? That's what his love has done for us. Also, he's dealt with the biggest detriment we have, which is what? Sin. Detriment's a, a, that's a soft word for it. There's bigger words and harder words for that. But the reality is, what keeps us from being like Christ? What keeps us as we are? What, what is that thing that seems to dominate so much? The issue of sin. Now, has he dealt with that? Does it say so? Oh, yes, it does, doesn't it? Uh, let's see, where did we find that? Verse number 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. We saw that. We also saw in verse number 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So don't use sin as your excuse. He's dealt with that, right? That's important for us to know. We also know that He is empowering us in order to do this. He didn't just leave us out there and figure it out ourselves and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, as we say sometimes. But it says very clearly in several places here that we must abide in Him. Abide in Him. Number one, we've got our our hope fixed on Him in verse number three. And because our hope is fixed on Him, we purify ourselves. But we also see in verse number six, No one who abides in Him sins. And you say, well, how do I get over all this? Abide in Him. That's how simple it is. Abide in Him. There's a beautiful chapter. Someday we're going to study this together. It's on my list of things to do. John chapter 15. We call it the vine and the branches. The teaching abiding. Abiding. If we don't abide... We can't do anything. That's the same verse comes from there. Apart from me, you can't do nothing. Now, I illustrated that when I was teaching that years ago. Um, I actually took a banana. It's off the tree, right? How's it going to look next week? Well, I brought it out the next week. I brought it out every week we were in John 15. It got very ugly. But it didn't change other than decompose. Why? Because it was detached. The same thing we could do with a twig or a branch. Take a branch and set it here on the, on the, the table in front of us. Watch it every week. What's it going to do if it's a detached from the tree? Nothing, right? It can't do anything. It just lays there. Just for fun one week, I duct taped a banana to it. Because that's pretty much the way we do it. We're not abiding in Christ, but we're going to attach some fruit so people see that we're something, right? So we go and duct tape bananas to our fruit all the time, just to make people think that we're abiding. 
abiding in Christ is a serious thing. And if you're saying here, I, I just don't know how I could ever be like him, then start where are you abiding? Where are you abiding? Are you abiding in Christ? That's what we're called to do, because the one who abides in Christ does not sin. You want the answer? There it is. There it is. Now, I need that lesson just as much as you do. All right? So, we need to be like Him. Not just because of those factors, but also because there's an action required of us. To be like Him means we will love our brother. And that's where we are. We will love our brother because we are like Him. We will love our brother because we are like him. And Christ set that portrait before us perfectly. And that's what we're going to look at here today, especially as we're working through this little section here about how Jesus loved his own. There's a beautiful way it starts in John chapter 13. If you just hold a place here and go over there for a second. In John chapter 13... The, these chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, even into 17, uh, are the moments before he's arrested in the garden, and he's crucified, and he dies. And these chapters are so sweet and beautiful. Christ speaking to his own, his disciples, during those last few hours. And uh, it says in verse number 1 of John 13, Now before... before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Now, this is, this is fascinating to me. He knows what time it is. He knows what's coming. He knows the, the nature of that, because not only Scripture mentioned that, but that was what he and his Father had set up, that he would go through this. And he knew what kind of cup it was he was going to drink. Knowing all that. Now, if you knew in the next six hours you were going to have an absolutely horrible death, what would you be thinking right now? <laughs> I, I could only imagine what would be going through my mind of how do I prepare for this? And I mean, put on that, as I say, put on your game face and be ready for it. You know, how do you, how do you approach that? What did Jesus do with those last hours? He showed his disciples how much he loved them. Wasn't even focused on himself. He was focused on them. Because it says right here, knowing that hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that beautiful? He loved them. And what's the first thing he did? Well, he pours water in a basin and washes their feet. But there's something also quite beautiful in the middle of all this. Between that phrase and the verse 5 where he goes to wash their feet, in verse number 2 it says, During supper, supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he had come forth from God, was going back to God, got up from supper, took off his garment and washed their feet. That's an incredible portrait of love. He's focused on those. Even, even, Judas is sitting there. That's incredible. But 
We're only supposed to love our brother, right? <laughs> he also tells us to love our enemies too. But let's walk through these things today and look at the amazing display of love. One good place to go when you want to consider this picture is in Romans chapter number 5. Romans 5. There are a handful of words here that are descriptive of you and me as we are found before we knew Christ. All right? In our unredeemed state, we would say it this way, before we became believers. This is the way man looks if they don't know Christ as Savior. And look at this, these pictures. In Romans 5, 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still helpless, helpless, that means no strength. Right? Sometimes our translations would be, say, some, while we were still weak. Right? Now, to me personally, weak means I still got a little bit in me. You might come out in the morning and find a weak battery, and somehow you manage to get it going. But a dead battery, that's different, Right? This is the picture of no strength. Nothing there. Nothing there. No strength whatsoever. Nothing. It's as as hopeless and helpless as can be. While we were in that condition, Christ died for us. Even further than that, look at the rest of the verse. At the right time, Christ died for the who? Ungodly. Now, do you like that term put on you? Ungodly? This is a strong word. The ungodly. Um, In the phrase ungodly, there is something entirely missing in the word ungodly. The word anything related to God is stripped out of it. That's ungodly. Alright? It's destitute of any reference or any reverence of God at all. It does not worship Him. It does not adore Him. It does not revere Him. That's the word. It has no desire for God whatsoever. That's the ungodly. That's where we start. Not pretty, is it? No worship, no adoration, no reverence. And what did Christ do? He died for the ungodly, didn't he? Aren't you glad for that? Jump down to verse number 8, my favorite verse in, in all the text here. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while, here's that phrase again, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. Now, this is not just saying while we sinned, But it goes more as the characteristic of the person. While we were yet sinners. One one commentator put it this way. Preeminently sinful. Especially wicked. Continually being sinful. What do you do with a person like that? Jesus died for them. Isn't that remarkable? He died for us while we were yet sinners. Psalm 1 talks about sinners. It says there's a path of sinners. 
the blessed man doesn't go down that path, right? But the path of sinners, have you ever thought of that? The path of sinners, that doesn't mean they just did this once, but they wore out a path doing it. They've been over the same track over and over and over and over again. And what we have in this picture is such a beautiful thing that the Son of God should die for us while we were still making our paths of sin. Paths of sin, paths of sin. Do you call that love? It goes on. It's even better. I love these things. Go on to uh, verse number 10. While we were enemies, he says. Boy, we've added the list, haven't we? While we had no strength, we had that one. While we were ungodly, while we were sinners, and now, while we were enemies of God. While we were enemies, we we were odious toward Him. We were hateful toward Him. Hostile is the word. Opposing. Being at enmity with God because of sin. Opposing God in our mind and in our action and our whole being. We were enemies. Enemies. And while we were enemies, it says, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. You see that again? Do you think Paul's trying to make a simple point here? What difference has the death of Christ made in your life and in mine? Wouldn't you agree it shows how much He loves you and how much He loves me? We were the most unloving creatures on the face of this earth. He had more respect from a giraffe than He had from mankind. And He came and died for the man. Didn't He? Incredible love. Now you know this story, don't you? You've seen it and you've read it and you've believed it your whole life for practically some of you. You've heard this, you've been here at this church for so long, you, you say, yeah, I know this. Jesus shows us that he loves us. Now, what's the point of this love? So that we can just sit here and say, yeah, it's great love? Or has he shown us this love that we might reflect it? That we might resemble it. If we're going to be like Him, are we just going to pick certain traits we like? Or are we going to be like Him? Who does He love? The ungodly. Do you know any ungodly people? Are they off your list of people to love? (laughs) Do you know sinners? Do you know weak people that you just can't stand to be around them? Because, well, you know exactly how they're going to act all the time. Do you know enemies? Those are the people Jesus loves. Incredible, isn't it? Oh, I know it's starting to get uncomfortable here, right? Because what does it say? We are to love like that. We are to resemble that kind of love. Is loving our brother so hard? Can you love an enemy? Can you love the ungodly? Can you love the sinner? You said, boy, those are real hard. But who's your brother? Remember last week? We talked this through. Your brother is also in the child family of God, right? He's your brother. Your brother also was saved from his sin by Jesus Christ, true? Your brother also is being shaped into the image of Christ. Isn't that right? Now, 
Who's easier to love, a brother or an enemy? Now, I let you think that there. But here's what Jesus said. Love your brother. Love your brother. Right? We've learned a lot about loving our brother. But now let's look at our, our verses here in 1 John and get another portrait set before us. 1 John chapter 3. Go back to our verse 13, 14, and 15. I'm going to set a couple portraits before you. All right? It says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you, because we know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, this this picture that we're going to set before us is based on the fact that Jesus had given his disciples a command. It was a command, right? He said, back in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Alright, so, can we modify that love to our own liking, or are we bound to follow what he has shown us? When he said, even as I have loved you, boy, that changed the whole story, didn't it? Because we'd like to modify it. Maybe you're like this. You, you've got uh, your, your Google Maps, or maybe you use some sort of a, a GPS system in your car, and you're driving along, and it's giving you the route, and you say, I know a better one. And you just pass by that turn that it says, and you go, and it's trying to correct you the whole time. How many times do we live that in the Christian life too? We say, I've got a better way of loving my brother. But this verse doesn't allow you a better way, does it? Except that it be like Christ. Guess what? He uses the same thing with forgiveness. (laughs) That one really makes me uncomfortable. We're to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Can we do that? These are challenging words. But that was a commandment he told his disciples very early at the start. And John 13 says it over and over again. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 15, he does it again in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. He says it again. And then he says this verse. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. So, let's look at a couple of portraits. First portrait is that of the unbeliever. Alright? This is not a pretty one. You are not going to want to stop and look at this long. The portrait of the unbeliever. In John chapter 3, 1 John 3, verse 15, or these handful of verses that are before us, he tells us about the unbeliever as well. It says right in the middle of verse 13, the world hates you. Doesn't it? The world hates you. It says uh, also in verse 14, he who does not love abides in death. Then it says in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That doesn't sound nice, does it? It goes on to say, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The world hates you. Is that strong? 
you know, he started to put this word in this text. We didn't have it there before in our study of 1 John 3. And all of a sudden, there's that word hate in front of us. Hate. That's a strong, strong term. Jesus had told his disciples about this. Matter of fact, this is what he, what he said to them. John fifteen seventeen. I make a lot of references to these chapters. Because John was there, for one, and, and he's a writer of both of these books. And so, the correspondence between them are, is great. But John fifteen 17, I'm going to read to you a handful of verses here. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. I don't know if that makes it easier for you or not. They don't hate you because of just you. They hate you because you resemble Christ. That's their hatred. They have a hatred toward God who sent him. And they hate Christ. And he says, so don't be surprised if they hate you. If you're resembling me. The world will hate those things. Verse 23, he goes on to say, He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. For they have done this to fulfill the word that was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. For those who do not abide, those who do not love, abides in death, abides in death. They stay there. They continue on in death. Those who do not love, abides in death. He goes on to say in John 3.36, He who has the Son has eternal life, but he who does not have the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I, I don't know if sometimes we get the full implication of that word. It doesn't go away. It continually abides because they continually abide in death. That's what he's saying. It's quite a strong picture. So they hate you. They hate you because they hate Christ. They hate Christ because they hate God. And it just is all the combination of these three together. And you're part of that. So they hate you. It says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. You're going to resemble Christ you're going to get the response that the world gave him. You say, well, maybe I don't want to do this. Then. <laughs> you know, I used to think that as a teenager. There was every, every week we, we were in a ritualistic type of church and we quoted uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer. We got to that part where, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us or trespasses, sometimes you use that word. And I always left the last part of that out. Because I said, Lord, I want forgiven, but don't treat me like I treat other people. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that in my heart. And sometimes we say, but I don't want this kind of pain. I don't want to go down this road. So we go this far. And here he says, you abide in me and reflect me and resemble me and become like me. And the world will hate you and say, well then, I don't want to go quite that far. 
We hesitate, don't we? We do. Because we live in a world like this. Why is it that we want the world's approval? Why do we want the love of the world? Isn't the love of Christ far greater? This is a picture he sets before us. Now, that's a portrait to start with. A portrait of the unbeliever. He hates. Now, listen, believer. Are we like that? That portrait's up there, and we're looking at it, and its first item is it hates. Now, check your life. Is that reflected in some of the things you do, or some of the things you think, or the way you treat some people? Hate? That's not your portrait, is it? It's not supposed to be what we're copying. He says the world is like that. It also says those who hate his brother is a murderer. Now that's getting strong, isn't it? He's a murderer. You've heard this long time ago. Even Jesus said this. You have heard it say, do not commit murder. And he says, whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be Guilty before the court. You know what he's just equated that anger with? Murder. Ouch. Now, is that part of our portrait as we look up there? Is that what we're resembling? That even we carry an anger in our heart? You say, well, they never see how I really feel. God does. He knows the heart, right? Are you harboring that? If you set your picture next to that portrait and you see... Anger in there, the kind of anger that the scripture speaks of, would you call yourself a murderer? That's what it says. Those who hate his brother is a murderer. Uh, this hate is compared to murder. Hate is a response. We already saw this. Why did Cain kill his brother? It was a response to the goodness of his brother, right? Uh, he went to the extent of murdering him. And the world always would feel bad when they're set next to good. Their conscience does work. It's not very good at times, but it's still there nevertheless, and they want to eliminate that which makes them feel bad. That's what you're supposed to be. A picture of Christ. They murder their brother. Murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. Did you see that also in the passage? Think of this for a minute. Revelation 21, John's writing at the end of the, the, the whole book of Scripture, and he's there saying, oh, this is what heaven's going to be like, and you know we're basking in the glory, the beauty of the whole passage. And then he says these words, and it's almost like, well, I can't read these words. These are, these are ugly in the midst of everything so beautiful. But he says, but for the cowardly and unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. He says that twice, not just once. But he says it again. That first one was in Revelation 21, 8. Then he says it again in verse chapter 22, verse 14 and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers, it says, and the murderers again, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Why do you love your brother? 
You know one good reason, if you want to say it this way, one good reason is because no one else on this earth will. The world will hate them. We are called to love them, right? So you're providing something that nobody else will. Love your brother. That's important. Uh, it confirms the fact that we've passed out of death into life. That's what it says in this passage as well. Uh, verse number 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. This is, this is a picture. This is how we know. This is a fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's evidence. You love your brother. That's evidence that you've passed from death into life. Right? So we love our brother for that purpose. Now, which portrait are you looking at now? You like this one better? I love my brother because he needs somebody in the family to love him. The world won't love him. I love my brother because it's evidence that I have a relationship with God and I pass from death into life. So, I love my brother because it's evident that God is in me. And I'm abiding in Christ and reflecting His image. I love my brother because it's consistent with who I am. If God so loved us, we ought to love our brother. See, hating our brother is not consistent with those who have eternal life abiding in them. Think of that again. Hating our brother is not consistent with those who have eternal life abiding in them. Verse 15 says, No murder has eternal life abiding in him. Right? It's not consistent to who we are and what God is making us to be for us to hate our brother. Have I made the point? I'm just telling you what John has said. We must love our brother, right? Wake up in the morning and realize that every single day. I'm to be loving my brother. I'm to be loving my brother. I'm to be loving my brother. That might be a challenging day, but that's what we've been called to do. Love our brother. So this is what else he has to say. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up just with these three verses here. And I've had this thought through my mind. And I, I, I don't know exactly how to explain this. Why why has John and why did Jesus before him spend so much time emphasizing love your brother? Why was it such a big deal? When it got to the time when John's writing this epistle, he puts it in every chapter. Love your brother, love your brother. What, I, I'm trying to imagine what was going on in his world that he needed to hear this. Then I started to think, well, maybe his world's a lot like ours. Maybe his people are a lot like us. And maybe this is something they forget as easily as we forget. Or maybe it's as easy for them to have bypassed it as it is for us to bypass it. I don't know, because I don't know the environment that he was exactly addressing on why he kept saying, love your brother, love your brother, love your brother. But these are three more verses he had to say about this, and I find them somewhat stunning. He says in 1 John 2, 9, The one who says he is in the light, that's my portrait, the one with the light, all right, and yet hates his brother, which means you're reflecting the other portrait, in the, he is in the darkness until now. Ooh, that's stunning, isn't it? 
He says this, 1 John 2.11. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He says this in 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Do you find those stunning verses? <laughs> I do. I think of those things and then I realize this is important. This is why he said it so often. It's something I need a reminder of every day. So, next week we're going to hit it one more time and there's a display set before us that's absolutely priceless. That's next week. This week, let's talk to the Lord about where we are. Heavenly Father, you know our lives and what we are, are, who we are. You know what you have done for us to make us children of God. You know how you have forgiven us of our sins because our Savior has come and picked them up and taken them away from us. You know that you have empowered us to live the Christian life and that you are abiding in us that we might have your direction and your wisdom and your strength and all that we possibly need. And you know, Lord, how often we fail, how often we find shortcuts, how often we just ignore your truth and try to do things our own way. You know, Lord, how we operate by the flesh. You know how we have uh, enmity in our hearts toward other people. You know these things, Lord. And we come to you first right now with who we are. And thank you for your patience and your mercy and your faithfulness to us. Lord, thank you for being so faithful to us even while we were yet unfaithful. And thank you, Lord, that you have not given up on us. For you who began the good work will complete it. And we're confident of that even now. That there is hope and there is change that's going to take place. It's inevitable because the Spirit's at work. And we thank you, Lord, that you will not give up on us. And we thank you, Lord, that this is a new day. And your faithfulness is so great that today is a new batch of mercy. A new batch of grace. And we can start now to resemble our Savior like we should. And if there are needs that need to be dealt with, if there's relationships that need to be mended, your Spirit does a great job of convicting our hearts. Teach us to follow His direction. Change us, we pray, Lord, that we might be like Christ and learn how to love and love our brother. In Jesus' name, Amen.